You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Really a a biography of Jesus, one of the four that we find in the New Testament, written by a man named John Mark, who was not an immediate follower of Jesus, but was close friends with a lot of Jesus' close friends, and, and wrote down the gospel of Mark for you and I, to really for us to learn about what it means to be Christ followers, what it looks like, even what doubt looks like, what it means to, to follow in, in difficult times. And there, is a, there are a handful of themes that we've seen coming out here. One is that through Jesus, the kingdom of God showed up. On the calendar, in a geographical location, God took on human flesh and stepped into our history. And Jesus declared uh, through his words that, that the kingdom would come, but mostly, especially in the gospel of Mark, through wonderful miracles and wonderful works that caused uh, people to really question reality and caused people to question, who is this man? You hear these questions throughout. Who is this man? Who can forgive sins? Who can calm a storm? As we learned uh, last week with Pastor David. And so Jesus comes to down. He heals people. He declares sins are forgiven. He tells evil spirits, it's time to take a hike. Pack your bags and get out because the kingdom of God is moving in. And so we see a lot of demonic or evil spirits coming up against Jesus because light is shining in darkness. And so you're going to see a battle when that happens. The kingdom of God has shown up in power. And ultimately, all this show of power is going to come to, a, to its, its, its point, its highest point, its zenith at the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But all of these things are slowly pointing us in that direction. And so what we see, the same way we do today, we see all sorts of different responses when Jesus Jesus shows up to a community or performs a miracle or challenges some teaching. We see these different responses. Do we have that up there? Yeah. Oh, I got to go onto this side so I can read the screen. All right. We see rejection. We see that from the religious leaders. We see fear. What is this power that this man has? We see curses. We see the the Pharisees planning to kill Jesus, finding ways to get rid of him, actually saying that Jesus is in in a relationship with the devil. That's a form of cursing if you didn't know that. And then we see people who have reverence and submission to Jesus and to his kingdom. And that is the question that Mark is asking you and I. What are you going to do with the person and the work of Jesus? What are you going to do with this story? How will you respond to Jesus? You don't find many neutral people in the Gospels. (laughs) You find people who leave mad, angry, confused, people cursing Jesus, or people falling down at his feet and worshiping him. And today's text is no different. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 20. Jesus is continuing to confuse and challenge people. And in this case, he's going to try just to paint kind of the picture here. He's traveled across the the Sea of Galilee, which is really a lake, to an area, and this is different than everywhere he's ministered to so far, because this is an area of non-Jews. These are pagans. These are people who are worshiping idols, worshiping other gods, investing their lives in other gods. So he travels to the the Gerasenes. And here Jesus, the rabbi, the son of the living God, is heading there. And you must wonder, like, what are the disciples thinking? As they look at Jesus, their, their rabbi, they're heading into this new area. What they must, why in the world are we going to this area? These are not the people who've been promised the Messiah. 
That what you come to bring is not for these people, it's for us. That's why you picked 12 of us, Jesus, the 12 tribes of Israel. We get it. We get all the symbolism. Why are we heading over here? And I, I wonder what it must have been like as this boat is showing up in the, the area called of the Gerasenes. And it's pulling up. And the first thing they see, as you'll see, is a man, a madman running towards them. Running down the hill with cuts all over his body, swailing and screaming. And behind this man, something you would never see in a religious community in Israel, on the other side of the lake, is a bunch of pigs roaming the countryside. The unclean animal that Jews should not be near are being, are being shepherded, pig-headed, Pigherded, I don't know, big herded on the other side behind this madman who's running towards them. What's interesting about this, these 20 verses is that the disciples are not mentioned. You almost wondered if they just stayed in the boat <laughs> or they just hung out by the shore while all this was happening. We're not even going to engage with this story, Jesus. So I'm going to let you guys sit because it's a longer text. But in your hearts, I want you standing. <laughs> as we read uh, this text this morning. So reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. I'm reading out of the ESV. It's going to be up on the screen behind me. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he, for he was saying to him, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city. They fled. They told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to, the, described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim it. And began to proclaim in the Decapolis. Decapolis was just a, a collection of 10 city states or 10 cities. How much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Jesus, I pray you would speak to us today through this text, through this very interesting story, this interaction between you and this massive group of, of unclean spirits. 
And though we may feel distanced by language, by this kind of engagement, by time and space, God, I pray that you would speak to us because I believe you have some important things to say about who we are when we come face to face with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to give you an idea of where this is taking place, I think I have a map there. And I showed a map at the beginning of this. Yeah, so here you have the Sea of the Galilee. And we've already heard about things happening in Capernaum and uh, Magdala and things on that side. You can see Upper Galilee, Lower Galilee, all Jewish area, all have a, a background of the Old Testament and the Jewish, Jewish or the Hebrew scriptures. And on the right-hand side, you see uh, Gergesa, or yeah, Gergesa. This is the area that we are talking about. So we, they've crossed the, the, the lake and they are showing up in an area. And you can see that this, this town is very close to the water. So as they're approaching, we see this, or the, they see this man running down from the tombs. Now, when you think of tombs, we don't think of a cemetery that we have. We think of caves. I think I've got some pictures here as well. Um, this is actually a shot, I believe, from the area. Th- this could be used as a tomb, but also very often in this area, you would have tombs that were hewn out of rock. They would, they would carve in them and actually would have different areas. These could possibly be used as ossuaries, which usually after a a year of burial, at least in the Jewish community, could be true here as well. Um, after a year of burial, they would take the bones and put them in an ossuary, and, and often they would have areas like that. So for, for a place where a lot of people aren't hanging out and a guy who's been pushed out, an outcast, this would be a great place to live because there's shelter, there's places to lay down. Yeah. But anyway... <laughs> So this is where this man has found his existence. They were always outside of the town because it was considered impure. The fact that he lives there is an implication that he is untouchable, he is unclean, and he is as good as dead. He is forgotten by God. He might as well be forgotten by us. And Mark mentions the tombs three times to get that into our heads in the first couple sentences. He is uncontrollable. He's crying out. Can you imagine this sound from the town, and you hear this wailing out in the darkness. They they try to bind him so he doesn't hurt himself, but he keeps breaking free. He's living in torture. Now, there's an echo in the Old Testament, or an echo from the Old Testament, of those who are cutting themselves, who are crying out, and it's just going downhill and downhill and downhill. Can anyone think of an Old Testament story where something like this happens? (laughs) Very good. (laughs) The entire Old Testament, yes. There's a specific story in Israel, in 2 Kings, where they are challenging to see who truly is the Most High God. And you have the prophets of Baal who start slicing themselves and crying out and crying out and crying out, and there is no answer for them. Uh, Excuse me, it's in 1 Kings. 1 Kings 18 says, And they cried out. These are the prophets of Baal. They cried out and they cut themselves as was after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. And there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now there's, there's no statement in, in, in Mark 5 that this man was worshiping other gods, that he did something wrong. But throughout scripture, the implication is that, is that worshipers of God are free to enjoy peace within themselves, peace with community because they are not harming themselves. They are not harming others. They are at, at peace with the way they were created to live. 
Paul makes it clear in Romans uh, chapter 1 that, that when we give up on the worship of the Most High and we turn to the worship uh, away from our Creator towards created things, there's this degrading, dishonorable harm that comes to us. In Romans 1, 30, 23 to 24, he says, and speaking of people who've walked away from God, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. It would be evident to anyone who stepped into the garrisons, that they stepped off the boat, that this was a place who worshipped different gods. It would be known that these are people who worshipped different kinds of gods. Now, we might not worship mortal man, like Paul talks about, although some, some people do worship the human body. We probably do not have idols of birds in our homes. You might. Having a little cute little bird on your, on your bird fountain, that's different. Probably don't have models of, of, or idols of creeping things. But we've just picked up gods of new varieties in our life, haven't we? Some of our, we could even call some of our gods anger or fear. We could find the little political tribes that we have, and we've, we've made those things into gods and find our whole identity and belonging in those things. We say, thanks, God, and, and, and we, we, get, we give into our own lusts, and, and in our hearts we dishonor God in what we do with our bodies and in our minds. And, and, and the point is not simply that those things are bad because they break God's heart, which they do. They're also bad, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, because they actually keep us from pursuing Jesus. They keep us from pursuing God and we become like the gods we serve. We become like the gods we serve. Now, here, here's a shot of two handsome gods. And these were gods that the people around Israel worshipped, even in this area. This dude's got a fish on his head. <laughs> that is Dagon, the god Dagon from the Assyrians. And next to him, I had to write this one down. This is Nisroch. On the right, the, the, this falcon-like God. There's an interesting story in the Old Testament where the ark of God that represented uh, the presence of God was brought by the Philistines into the temple of Dagon. And every morning they went in, Dagon had fallen over and was bowing to the altar, to the, the ark. We see something similar happening in this story. But it's interesting. One, one of the reasons Jesus healed the blind, this is important to keep in mind when we read the Gospels, one of the reasons that Jesus is healing the blind, one of the reasons that Jesus is, is helping those uh, who cannot speak, speak, help the mute speak, those who cannot hear, helping them hear, is because symbolically, he's taking back the people from the gods that they've been worshiping throughout the years. They, they have worshiped deaf, mute blind gods, and they've become like the gods that they've worshipped. In Psalm 115, verses 4 to 8, it says this. It says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They've, they have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust them. This was an ongoing warning in the Old Testament. So the question that was always being given to the, the Israelites was, who do you serve? Because you become like the gods you serve. Who is your master? If you, serve, if you create 
and serve deaf, blind, mute gods, you will become deaf spiritually, you become mute spiritually. And so when Jesus is performing these miracles, all those who knew their Old, Old Testament were going, or Hebrew scriptures, they would have called them, uh, would, would say, this seems familiar. You're redeeming your people from this kind of worship. There's a, there's a line in Avengers, and for those of you, uh, you know, uh, spoiler alert, okay? Um, also in Star Wars, they blow up the Death Star. But in Avengers, there's a scene where the Avengers are, are just kind of meeting each other. There's been a, they've kind of been spread across the universe, and they're fighting against each other. And Doctor Strange just wants to make a clarification. So he says to this, this group of Avengers, he says, Okay, let me ask you one clarifying question. What master do you serve? And Star-Lord sarcastically says, What am I supposed to say, Jesus? And because we're in church, yes, that is what you're supposed to say. But the clarification was, who do you serve? Because you are going to be like your master. And at the end of Endgame, the final of those Avenger movies, the question was, are you serving the Titan Thanos, the evil Titan Thanos? Because if you are, your fate will be the same as his. And if you've seen Endgame, as Thanos dissolves into dust, all those who chose to follow him dissolve into dust. Who do you serve? We become like and we share the fate of the gods that we serve. And we can each walk in here with our own gods. Some of us, some of us are angry. <laughs> and some of us feed that god all day long with a news cycle. Some of us are scared and we feed that god all day long. We cuddle up to that god all day long with a news cycle or social media. If we serve the God of pornography, we will degrade the bodies of others and we will degrade our own body. If it's the God of anger and, and righteous indignation, it will burn us up and it will burn those around us up as well. By the, by the measure that you judge others, you will be judged and anger will consume you. The man of the tombs is tormented, he's confused, he's injuring himself, he's untamable, ropes cannot hold him, chains, shackles, he is screaming day and night. And he runs to Jesus, not in anger, not with an upper hand, but in submission. Imagine what this must have looked like to all the Gerasenes who've known this man screaming in the tombs, known this man breaking shackles over and over and over again. And he runs up, it says in verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. It actually becomes hard to figure out who, who is talking here as, as Jesus has this very strange conversation with this man and the demon or the demons. What we do see is that whether it be the man, whether it be a demon, whether it be demons, plural, there is a recognition that Jesus is the more powerful one. Regardless of what this guy's pulled off in the past, regardless of what these demons have pulled off in the past, there's no question about it. You are the most high God. That is what you hear other nations call Jesus you, or, or God, God, the most high God, because they were always comparing him to the gods that they worshiped. So the very fact that he says this tells us that there were other gods in the vicinity, but you are the most high God. Whoever is controlling this man at this point is not thinking about self-damage right now. He's not thinking about cutting himself anymore. He is thinking, I'm in the presence of God. And what's interesting is, is that as the, the disciples are probably you know, well, they are. Throughout Mark, they're questioning Jesus' identity. Every time he does something new, they're going, who is this guy? You have demons. You have the unclean spirits showing up and going, this is God. It's very interesting that the, the unseen world, unclean spirits keep declaring Jesus God. 
And then a Roman centurion declares him the son of God. But the disciples are having a hard time all throughout the gospel. I don't think that's by accident. I think Mark wants us to recognize that. That we often skirt around what Jesus is calling us to and what he has declared himself to be. The spirit which has tormented this man, but now these table, the table has turned. Something significant has just happened as Jesus has stepped to the shore. The spirit of torment says to Jesus in verse 7, crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. It's interesting, the unclean spirit calls out to God. <laughs> That's fascinating. I adjure you. He, he asked God for help. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. This tormenting spirit is now saying to Jesus, please don't torment me. Imagine what the crowd that has spent years trying to control this man who has been filled with this unclean spirit to see him now fall at the feet of Jesus and say, don't torment me. And Jesus asked him in verse 9, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. I don't know if any of these people had heard him say that before. But that would have had quite an impact. And if you've ever seen movies, I think they've even done movies that have nothing to do with the Bible, but they'll still name the demon Legion. And he probably talks like this. And even if we've seen gospel movies, maybe, Jesus asked the question, my name is Legion, for we are many. They try to make him sound really scary. And, and the word Legion comes from the, the it literally means thousands. But for those who would have heard him say this, and for Mark writing, it was also the largest military gathering of Roman soldiers. A, a Roman Legion had 5,200 infantry and 300 cavalry. So when they hear a demon say, we are legion, for we are many, they are thinking militarily. This is like a large Roman garrison. So this tells us two things. One, this man is full of unclean spirits. <laughs> there are a lot in there. The second thing it probably tells the listeners is that there's a battle about to go on. There's about to be a battle. And there's a bit of comedy here, I think, because we have this demon who has just said, we are legion, for we are many. And after announcing his name, he begged Jesus earnestly not to send him out of the country. <laughs> we are many. Please don't hurt us. Verse 11 says, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So after we've given this name that implies strength, please send us into these swine. Now, some obvious questions here. <laughs> One question is, why into the pegs? <laughs> why is that where they want to go? The second one is, why would Jesus listen? Why doesn't Jesus just send them into the abyss? Just dissolve this or these demons up. Now, this is not a lesson on exorcism. Uh, there have been not many times, but there have been a few times I've been invited to people's homes because they felt there was a dark spirit in their home. Not possession, but that there was a dark spirit in their home. My first question was, I'll come, but I, I got to find some pigs. You don't need pigs to do this. I don't know why Jesus was okay to do this, but it actually served a very important purpose that I think we need to take from this today. One is, it, it gave us a visual of what the telos of following the devil is, and it is destruction. Many people that I have walked as their pastor love to dabble in things on the side and say, yes, I'll follow Jesus, but this belongs to me and wherever I want my pleasures to go. Those only head in one direction. Pigs at the bottom of a lake. 
That is the telos. That is the, the direction when we play around with these things that we can get away with on the side. We are not the exception to the rule. They will do damage to our soul. They, were, they will pour venom on our soul. So it serves that purpose. You want to see a visual of what it means to, to follow the evil one? It is destruction. That's where the God of this age wants to lead you. It's the natural pathway for rejecting the kingdom of God. But there's something bigger going on here as well. Or not bigger, but something else going on that tells us something about who Jesus is. And believe me, if the disciples popped their heads out of the boat, they would, have, they would not have missed this. Many scholars argue that with Jesus, we have what is called the new exodus. Some argue that the gospel of Mark is all talking about a new exodus. And we'll see this next week as well when we talk about the feeding of the 5,000. There's all sorts of connections with Moses and the wandering in the wilderness. But in the same way that God led the children out of slavery in Egypt, Jesus is leading all of humanity out of the slavery of sin. This is why Jesus proclaims in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus makes this very clear. He says, the spirit of the Lord, he's in a synagogue. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who were oppressed. Whenever the Jews would hear liberty to captives and liberty to those who were oppressed, they would think Exodus. They would think coming out of Egypt. He's talking about a new, more powerful Exodus than Moses could ever bring. And we understand this as Christians. When we talk about the gospel, we, we talk about the idea that we were once slaves to sin. Every time a, a, a Messianic Jew would hear that, they would think, oh, out of slaves to sin, like we were slaves in Egypt. Jesus is doing what God did through Moses, but in a much deeper, global, cosmic way for all of creation. In Romans 6, 17 and 18, Paul writes this. He says, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves now to righteousness. This is what Jesus came to do. It has always been God's character, and he's continuing to do it through Jesus. The God who delivered Israel is still at work. He is doing something new. So this man who was enslaved by demonic forces, he has been in chains because of evil forces, outcast, looked down upon, just like the Egyptians looked down upon the Jews. And in order to bring about this man's freedom and emancipation, he sends these evil forces into water to be drowned. Ding, 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 ding. Pavlov's dog, is it going off? There ought to be bells going off. After the Israelites were saved from the Egyptians who were drowned in the Red Sea, the Israelites wrote this wonderful song in Exodus chapter 15. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horses and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The military he has thrown into the sea. Next one. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they went down into the depths like a stone. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. This is one of the most revisited stories. This is the most revisited story of all Jewish children. Over and over and over. Children would hear this story over and over and over, and they would hear this chapter and this song over and over and over. They would celebrate it at Seder every year. 
celebrate the fact that God delivered them through water and delivered the evil forces through water. In Mark 5, you would think, wow, look what, everyone, let's throw a party. Look what, look what Jesus has just done, the way he's delivered this miraculously. Well, if you're a pig farmer, you might have a different opinion. It's interesting. The pig farmers do not fall down at the feet of Jesus. They go running away into the town. I'm not sure they were saying great things about Jesus. They just lost their entire herd. All their money. So you're not happy if all your pigs took a dive. They run into town. They tell everybody what happened and not necessarily in a good light. And when the townspeople return... All they know is that this man showed up, sent demons into pigs who are drowned, and this demon-possessed man has come up to Jesus. And when they return, they see this man who they've always talked about. This man who they always hear crying in the night. This man they have witnessed men try to hold down so that they can chain him. This man that they've abandoned and, and sent out to the tombs to live. This monster, dirty, naked, bleeding Sitting, fully dressed, in his right mind, at the feet of Jesus. And the response in verse 15 is very interesting. But in Mark, it's not unusual. It says, and they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they began, in verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. In verse 18, you see the exact opposite. The new man in his right mind begs Jesus, can I go with you? So you have the people saying, get out of here. And the demon-possessed man going, no, no, please, please stay. Let me stay with you. It's kind of like a bad teenage romance. Come here, come here, come here. Go away, go away. And this is, this is the crux of the story. This is, this is what we have to sit on. What do we do with Jesus? What are we going to do with Jesus? Throughout Mark, we see episodes of Jesus' power, Jesus showing up, and there being either fear or acceptance. And, and some scholars point out, often fear is the opposite of faith. I am not going to put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to live in fear. We've seen that a lot over the last few years. Fear of all that it would mean to say yes to Jesus. That's what we see here. There's so much we have to give up if we say, yes, Jesus, you are fully welcome here. You are fully welcome to take up residence. Imagine what these people would be thinking. Man, if this guy hangs out, all the pigs are going to be gone. If this guy hangs out, what is our world going to look like? It was true in the first century, and it's true for us today. If Jesus stays here, what will that mean for us? What will it mean for our community? What will it mean for bacon? Hands off. Would it mean we need to get rid of all that is unclean in our lives or just a few pigs? Or does Jesus come in and say, I'm going to do a full cleaning. Everything is being thrown into the lake. Or we live in fear. Fear of his power, yes, but also <laughs> what people live in fear of with Jesus is a massive overhaul of our lives. We see this in Acts. Every time the apostles or the disciples started coming to a town, people got scared because the disciples were known as those who flipped societies on their head. They turned everything upside down. And so a lot of people don't want to say yes to Jesus because they have a pretty sober idea of what that would mean. It would mean a full wiping out of their own desires and a welcoming in of what Jesus 
would desire for them. There is something that happens at the end of this story that stands out if we're paying attention. You notice how this story ends compared to all the other miraculous stories we've read in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus says, don't come with me. Go tell everybody what just happened. Notice how every other time Jesus said, keep it to yourself. Something different is going on here because this is not a messianic community. This is not a community that's expecting the Messiah. This is a community that had no John the Baptist. This is a community that had no prophets to look back on. This guy is the new John the Baptist. He's going, prepare yourself. I just met this guy. He just cleaned me up. He clothed me in new clothes. He, he told me I'm clean. He, he removed all, all the demonic, all the darkness. He removed my old life. Go tell people about that. Go tell people that the kingdom of God has shown up here. Go tell your story. Once you were naked and ashamed, you are now clothed and you are settled. That is the invitation for everyone. Once you were enslaved and hearing and obeying the wrong voices, the wrong kind of slavery, now you are clear-headed and seated at my feet. You're no longer wandering the tombs, no longer wandering where there's no life. I have given you life. You're no longer chained. You're no longer hurting yourself. In the early 90s, there was a, a song. Actually, I know I have the lyrics up there, but I don't want you to show them because I want people just to listen. There was a song in the early 90s uh, by a guy named Bob Bennett. He would never be popular today. He was not cool. <laughs> he, he was just a, a bearded dude with a guitar who loved Jesus. But he wrote this beautiful song that has stuck with me since the 80s. Sorry, the, the early 90s. I'm, I'm old though, but I have been around the 80s too. And it's called, it's called Man of the Tombs. And I, I, the reason I love this is because there's so much in this song that rings true for all of us. Yes, he was literally in tombs. He was literally cutting himself and hurting himself because he was living in the darkness and living alone, abandoned. And Jesus said, I've come to give you new life. This is true this is a story that all of us can have. Man of the tombs, he lives in a place where no one goes, and he tears at himself. And he lives with the pain that no one knows. He counts himself dead among the living. He knows no mercy and no forgiving. Deep in the night, he's driven to cry out loud. Can you hear him cry out loud? Man of the tombs, Possessed by an unseen enemy, he breaks every chain and he mistakes his freedom for being free. Shame and shamelessness equally there. Like a random toss of a coin in the air, man of the tombs, he's driven to cry out loud. Underneath this thing that I've become, a fading memory of flesh and blood, I curse the womb, I bless the grave, I've lost my heart, I cannot be saved. Like those who fear me, I'm afraid. Like those I've hurt, I can feel pain. Naked now before, I, before my sin and these stones that cut against my skin. Some try to touch me, but no one can, for man of the tombs I am. And then the song moves into explaining his transformation at the hands of Christ. He says, dressed now and seated, clean in spirit and healthy of mind, man of the tombs. He begs to follow, but must stay behind. He'll return to his family with stories to tell of mercy and madness in heaven and hell. Man of the tombs, soon he will cry out loud. Underneath this thing that I once was, now I'm a man of flesh and blood. I have a life beyond the grave. I found my heart. I can now be saved. No need to fear. I am not afraid. The man of, this, man of sorrows took my pain. 
He's come to take away your sin and bear its marks upon his skin. I'm telling you this story because man of the tombs I was. So where do you find yourself in this story? Maybe you're the, maybe you're the disciples. You're not in this story. <laughs> you're hiding out. You do not want to engage with this Jesus. Maybe wanting to stay away from the unclean. Maybe you're the community saying to Jesus, we don't need you and we don't want you here. Please get out of here. Do not turn things on its head. Just leave. We will continue the way we were. Maybe you can identify with the man of the tombs, harming yourself, compelled to destruction, physically hurting yourself, emotionally chained, spiritually chained, chained to things that do not bring life, addictions, pathways, big and small, that are leading you away from life. Most of us here, I'm going to assume, did not emerge from a tomb to make your way out to church this morning. You didn't pack up at the cemetery and make your way here, clean yourself up. Most of us don't wear, most of us do not wear scars on our skin. We don't necessarily cry out audibly, but that does not mean we do not have real scars. It does not mean that we are not tormented. And Jesus would invite us, even this morning, Jesus who declared that in him we can have life and life more abundantly, Jesus would say to each of us, you are not abandoned. Stop living in the tombs and declaring it life. No one needs to live in or be out-muscled by darkness. I am the light of the world. I will clothe your nakedness in robes of righteousness. That is the end game for all those who are in Christ Jesus. Who sees you, who loves you, and who pursues you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would do a work this morning. I pray for each of us that we would have an open heart and an open mind to what you would want to say to us in this very moment. None of the people in this town, none of these garrisons would have known really what it was like to live in those tombs. Know what it was like to be consumed by by a recording in his mind telling him he is nothing and telling him he is, he is worthless and this is the life that has been ordained for him. None of the people in the town would have known that. And God, for many of us, we walk with darkness, we walk with pain emotionally and spiritually that nobody else in this room knows about. But Jesus, I pray the message would be clear that each of us are seen and loved and pursued. I thank you, Jesus, that you have come to bring life and life more abundantly, that you are the light of the world and your light can shine into every tomb. Your light can shine into every darkness. Your light can heal our wounds. And so, Jesus, for each of us this morning, I pray first for those who have come here and have said, I am not worthy to be given a new name. I am not worthy to be welcomed out of darkness. Jesus, declare over each of those people today, you are seen, you are loved, and you are pursued from the highest authority. That sin can be forgiven from the highest 
authority. And so we need not live in shame. We need not live continuing to cut ourselves, either with thoughts or even physically for some. God, for some here, maybe we have, we have been worshiping gods in big and small ways who cannot speak, who cannot hear, who can do nothing for us. And we're starting to think like those gods. We're starting to lose proper ways of thinking and speaking. Our ears are deaf to what you might want to say to us. And so God, if you can make that clear through your spirit to each of us better, better than any sermon can, I pray you would point out in each of our spirits those things we need to throw away. They do not bring life. They end in dust. And God, for those of us who once lived in the tombs, who have now been given new life, I pray that we would be quick to tell our family and friends that they too can be redeemed. They too can be clothed in robes of righteousness. I thank you that as we cry out, you hear us. I, I, I thank you that as we aim to, to listen from you, you speak to us. I thank you that your love throughout Scripture is a love of action. And so I pray you would reach out to each of us here. Remind us that we are children of the living God, children of light. Thank you for the invitation of life. And God, some of us this morning, we need to say to you, whichever way, whichever way we've been walking, if it has not been towards you, we need to repent and we need to work, turn towards you. I pray you would honor us in that this morning. Strengthen us through your spirit. Give us the courage to go and do whatever you ask of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.